0: face the difficulties of today and tomorrow. I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. This nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 13 of the Policy Dialogue series with alumni, staff, faculty, and students from the University of Maryland. Views expressed do not represent official positions of the school or alumni network. Our goal is to discuss current issues and how we can use policy to solve local, national, and international challenges. We are recording this on January 28, 2021. And today we are speaking with Lee Blender, who is the Executive Director of Trans Maryland, which is an organization that aims to promote trans wellness throughout Maryland by increasing access to affirming services and resources while nurturing young trans leadership. My name is Evan Papp and I graduated from the School of Public Policy, class 2011, with a focus on international security and economic policy. And I'm the executive producer of Empathy Media Lab, which creates content on labor, political economy, arts and culture. And I'm going to pass it to Shanice and the others to introduce themselves.
0: Absolutely. Thanks, Evan. So I'm Shawnee Spemiro. I am the vice president of the School of Public Policy Alumni Chapter Alumni Board. Excuse me. Um, and really excited to have everybody here. And I'll pass the baton off to Delisha.
2: Hi, everyone. My name is Delisha Thompson. I am the co-chair of the Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Committee on the School of Public Policy Alumni Board.
0: Uh,
2: and I'm happy to be here and listen.
0: Hi right everyone. Yes, last but not least, our most important person of the evening, kick it over to Lee.
3: Hi, everyone. My name is Lee Blinder, and I'm the executive director of Trans Maryland. I use they, them pronouns, and grateful to be here with all of you to discuss these important issues tonight.
0: Awesome. So we'll go right into questions. Very excited to, to hear what you have to say. So Lee, if you can tell us what's the problem and how long has there been a problem?
3: Great. So, the problem is really around the rule of requiring publication for name change. So, the process of name change, you know, particularly for the trans community um, in Maryland, we have about a hundred year old law that requires publication when you undergo the legal name change process through the court. And that's very difficult for the trans community, particularly because if you have a very gendered name and you're changing to a gendered name, then that process can out you as transgender. Um, And putting your name in the newspaper, you know, now we have the internet. So a lot of folks um, find that their name change through the newspaper then becomes put online. And that can be really dangerous for our community. And obviously it's a violation of privacy. Um, And for young trans people, you know, if you're 18 years old, you're changing your name, uh, you might then be Googleable and have your trans experience and identity known, you know, for every job you have, every person that you work professionally with, family, etc. So it's a a vulnerable position for the community to be in. And we've been involved, um, you know, trying to change that for a few years now.
0: Awesome. And have other counties tried to, uh, to increase the safety um, and shield the names um, before any type of legislation or any type of um, actions?
3: Sure. So we've run a name change program uh, for a little over a year now. And our program assists trans people uh, both with the cost and with the process. Uh, the legal name change process is a little bit onerous and it's not always clear, you know, what paperwork to file, what has to be done at each point. And also, we submit um, or offer folks the ability to submit a waiver of publication request to the court. And what we're seeing is that those waiver requests are being honored in really different ways throughout the state. Um, Counties like uh, Baltimore City and Montgomery, uh, Washington County and a few others are waiving, oh, Harford County are waiving publication either to posting at the courthouse or um, to a more private uh, process. And then we have some counties that are routinely denying that waiver. Um, And so there's a real difference throughout the state and how the courts are envisioning that a few counties that are consistently denying the waiver would be Prince George's and Howard counties. Um, So that obviously becomes very difficult if you happen to live in those counties and a lot of folks have a lot of fear about going through the legal name change process and then what you end up with is um, trans community members who are stuck in a job because they feel that they can't go to another job because being Mm -hmm. trans would be known then you know to their employer and for me i'm a very out trans person Um, I'm highly Googleable. There's no, you know, (laughs) there's no possible way, um, you know, that folks uh, would not know that I'm trans if they were to Google me. Uh, But that's also a choice that I've made, and it was not tied uh, to my name change. And actually in Montgomery County, um, the paper, I went through the name change, legal name change process myself, and the paper that I published in no longer exists. It was about a hundred-year-old paper itself, uh, the Montgomery County Sentinel. And, um, you know so i was really lucky in where uh, we didn't know about the publication waiver process at the time this is five years ago now was well, a short amount of time in the span of life but a lot has happened for the trans community since then and um in that publication process you know uh the sentinel did not have an online distribution so it was much more private and you would have had to have an actual copy and. The advice is to get a copy of that publication, you know, just for your records as you're going through the process. And I was actually not able to get a copy of it. It was not a paper that I had access to easily find. So um, if anybody happens to have a copy of my name change, do let me know. And um, yeah, that's really the challenge is that the courts throughout the state are interpreting the waiver process and their ability to waive publication in really different ways which um, is a challenge and it's an equity problem throughout the state.
0: And Leek, do you have any um, insight as to why um, there's been pushback in Prince George's County specifically?
3: Sure, that's a great question. I am really not sure You know what the, the challenge is. You know, Judges are interpreting the law, obviously, in very different ways. Um, and when a petitioner is asking for publication to be waived, and you know going into a lot of detail about why it seems very reasonable you know to take that into account and there is an alternative uh you know publication process to post it at the courthouse um, and what we've found is that you know the name change process is like one segment of the court's uh practices but they don't really envision uh the process in that way in a very specific isolated way. So they're like, okay, you know, all requirements of this kind must follow this same pathway and it must be, you know, the same for everyone. Um, But that law is a hundred years old. It predates the internet. It predates like social security tracking, all of those things. So the reason of the law is no longer really applicable in modern life. So, you know, as we're kind of looking at things with the court we want the court to update to modernize and we're seeing you know that process happening all over across the country uh, there are 17 uh, states and Washington DC and Puerto Rico that do not uh, require name change publication um, and that number keeps growing every year so um yeah it's uh not really clear why it's specifically happening you know in Prince Georges or Howard County's um, But we're really, really eager to, you know, just bring to light that uh, this is a problem facing the community. It's an antiquated process and it just needs to be updated and to be modernized.
0: Thanks, Lee. And Evan, did you want to hop in?
1: Yeah, I, I was curious if there are any states in the United States or even any countries that maybe you hold up as kind of the gold standard of at least something that may be working and is a little more equitable.
3: Sure, sure. Uh, Not having a publication requirement is definitely one of them. And there are plenty of states, you know, that have uh, no publication requirement. Um, Nearby to us, you know, is uh, DC. It's not a state, but it's a jurisdiction, you know, yes, possibly, hopefully could become a state. Uh, We'll see, Um, you know, with uh, the bill that's being put forward Um, and you know many countries have uh you know various name change processes for us we're really just looking to um, ensure that Maryland is not behind you know at the moment we're a bit behind and can do a little easy work to to catch up to get to that place where we don't have to have a name change publication um it's really you know just an antiquated rule that's uh, being applied um, very unequally throughout the state
0: Thank you so much, Lee. Um, And so, can you tell us about the name change bill um, that's been introduced in this year's General Assembly? Um, And was that bill also introduced
3: last year? Sure, great question, Shanice. So we have, this year is HB0039, and that has been introduced uh, by Delegate Emily Shetty. And that bill is um, coming to this assembly and last year we had HB 427 uh, also again by delegate Shetty and that one was the same. It's uh, designed to require if the petitioner requests to waive publication. So it's actually not even eliminating the publication requirement. It's just saying if the petitioner requests it that that must be honored so counties such again as Prince George's or Howard uh, would be required to waive publication and join the other counties that are already waiving publication um, and just modernize that. So it's unfortunately not, you know, a full waiver process. um, But it is going to provide some relief for the trans community members who really need to, you know, be safe and have the choice. Again, it should be a choice to share that you're trans with folks um, and to not be put into danger either from people who you meet, someone you might date, your employer, however it is, um, to know that you're trans uh, and allow folks to have that choice.
0: Perfect. And are there any other advocates in the General Assembly um, that are pushing for this change?
3: Sure, Delegate Gabriel Acevedo um, again is one of the is is the first um, openly gay uh, Afro-Latinx community member who's been into uh, the assembly, and um, he's been a big champion, you know, for this bill. The bill has a long list um, of sponsors, uh, but particularly, you know, it's been wonderful to have uh, community members who we don't have any openly trans community members in the General Assembly and never have. uh, So maybe one day we will. Uh, But it's wonderful to have from the broader umbrella community that direct support Um, and HB 427 last year did um, was uh, passed the House completely. Um, It was a unanimous vote for that bill. Um, And so Unfortunately, it was supposed to be heard in the Senate on the day the General Assembly shut down. But, um, you know, we're hoping this year to have the same success in the House and then also for uh, things to move along in the Senate. And hopefully, with COVID, that uh, this session can continue.
0: Perfect. Thanks, Lee. And now I'll t- turn it over to Delisha.
2: Yeah, I think um, one of the biggest questions that we would like to know is how can people get involved um, and advocate for this bill? Who should they be contacting? Um, and is there like a, a date, you know, dates and times that people should be showing up for advocacy lobbying or protesting purposes?
3: Awesome, yeah, thank you for asking. So what we need is for folks again to just ensure that again just like they voted for hb 427 last year that in the house that will have that same um you know support level and then particularly um you know reaching out to folks um in the senate uh the bill last year that um went through there was no cross file and i think this year we might have one but i don't have a bill number yet um so Reaching out to folks in the Judicial Proceedings uh, Committee of the Senate and letting them know, you know, we support this bill um, as it is written um, to make sure that trans people have our dignity and are able to have privacy, um, you know, through that process. It's just a really wonderful time, you know, to be taking control of your own transition in your life. Again, not every trans person changes their names, but for the folks who want to have access to that. Um, you know, having that joy and excitement in being who you are and coming into yourself and taking ownership of the things about um, you that you want to access um, to be different, you know, through your transition, that that joy is not going to be tempered by, you know, having your name plastered on the internet or in a newspaper. Um, and, And again, it's the idea that someone could, like, you know, read that and know everything about you that you may or may not want to disclose.
1: Very cool. And I also done a little research on Trans Maryland, and you offer a lot of resources for people. And I, I was um, just taken aback. I think it's great that you're doing this weekly Wednesday support group as well. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Like how that got started? And, and maybe so others can learn more about it as well. Sure, thank you. Yeah, we have a weekly support group every Wednesday from
3: 6.30 until 8 p.m. And we started that because when COVID happened, a lot of the in-person support groups stopped, um, obviously, you know, to make sure that we're, uh, that folks were keeping one another safe. Um, and we found that there is a huge gap and a huge need in terms of community support. Um, a lot of trans folks uh, might end up then staying with family or not having the outdoors time or that work time or that school time that they might have been having and might be living with unaffirming family. You know, They might not be able to be out to family members um, in those spaces. And so our support group arose to really fill that gap. And I think a lot of the other support groups that had closed have now started to reopen You know, and have digital um, access, but, um, you know, One of the benefits of being a small and scrappy grassroots is that you can change course kind of quickly. Um, so we saw that need and um, we have some amazing facilitators who hold that space for the community. And it's a peer to peer space. So again, one of the other benefits is that instead of it being like a mental health space, while those are extremely important, not everyone in our community has access to insurance or co-pays or things like that that could support Um, accessing a mental health um, provider-based support group space. And we found that that peer support really is key to knowing about the challenges that folks have or the joys that we wanna share uh, with one another. Um, So peer support has really been a powerful way throughout history that our community has come together and to share resources with one another. And then also just these practical tips on how to navigate through in a world that really doesn't create a lot of space for trans people. Um, So it's been really, really cool to see a bunch of trans faces every week um, and to know that um, you might be able to come to a space and connect with someone who, even if they haven't shared your exact life experience, that they can sympathize or empathize or understand either struggles that you're facing or share in that joy and that euphoria of being yourself.
1: And how can people learn more about Trans-Maryland and how can they support as well um, if they're you know to learn more and and definitely support the work that you're doing and and also we'll put in more information on how to um, get this bill passed as well within the show notes.
3: Great, thank you. Yeah, folks can check us out at uh, transmaryland.org. We have our website there and there's a space to both uh, read about our programs, to access some online digital resources that we've collected um, throughout uh, the almost three years that we've been doing this. And then um, you can also check out our Facebook page and Instagram and uh, you can sign up for our mailing list through our website as well. Uh, so it's been really a wonderful experience to talk to so many trans folks throughout the state um, and there are very few spaces. Again, there's a lot of transit challenges we have in Maryland um, and partially due to a lot of the particularly racist transit policies um, that have prevented there being, like for me in Montgomery County, the ability to hop on a train to uh, Baltimore City, um, even though I live a five-minute walk from a train line. So. Um, we've found that these digital spaces to connect and come together as a community are really powerful because, um, you know, we're all in this together in the state and sharing what's possible in one place can help us replicate that in other places. So it's not always clear, you know, can we have a trans lit organization? Yes. Um, And can we have trans leadership in each county in the state? being 24 i would hope so um but it's also part of like making those connections with each other to know um how big we can dream and then the connections to make it happen
1: beautiful uh does anyone have any other questions to ask cuz I, I always want to end on what uh you where you find optimism i guess going forward but i, I do want to you know delicia if you have anything or Shani.
2: yeah um I was just curious um, with the name change bill. I I assume you also have to get it for you know things like your driver's license, um, and other things. And I'm kind of curious, and your birth certificate. So I'm kind of curious if you feel that in totality, are there other areas in which uh, things are more burdensome? Um, on the trans community in terms of changing both their name and uh, gender identification on various documents?
3: That's a great question. So, Maryland, we uh, led the coalition to pass um, the XID and gender self attestation bill, and that went into effect in October uh, of 2019. So, that means that um, when you select your gender marker at the MVA, either on your Maryland ID or on your driver's license, you can just check the box. And now there's a third option. So there's um, F, M, and X. And for me, that was the first time uh, that I've been able to actually have a fully correct ID. Um, you make a great point, Delisha, that there are some differences in what's accessible. So on the federal level, there is no X marker. Um, So I have partially correct documents. Uh, My name is changed on everything, but my gender marker is incorrect with Social Security and on my passport. And um, a wonderful friend and movement colleague, uh, Shige Sakurai, who um, is the founder of mypronouns.org, which is a cool website uh, for, for learning and growing and checking out some information there. And also the founder of International Pronouns Day. And they were um, an integral part in helping us pass that bill because they have uh, and hold the first XID um, in the country. And they're um, currently working, have a wonderful campaign, uh, which I'll share as well, um, through the ACLU to advocate for federal XID markers, both with um, Social Security and uh, on a passport. And um, yeah, Maryland is a little behind as well um, in terms of birth certificates. Um, We eliminated the sterilization requirement um, that existed up until 2015. Um, And uh, Ken Juretsu, who is the executive director of Hearts and Ears, um, he is the first person to have um, a birth certificate corrected uh, without that onerous uh, sterilization requirement. But the work still continues because um, folks who are born in Maryland uh, don't have the ability to um, get an X marker on their birth certificates. And in addition, they have the requirement of having a medical professional sign a letter attesting to your gender. So it's not by self-attestation. And the way I like to describe those letters is like, well, I suppose you can have this middle person where I tell my provider my gender And my provider says, ah, yes, that is your gender. And then they write it down in a letter and then they give it to me. And then I give it to the state or the government in some way. And, you know, it's a a lot of extra paperwork for everyone. It's kind of a a embarrassing and um, onerous uh, task to do. And it's something that's burdened to just the trans community. Um, You know, cisgender people don't, Have to get a letter about their gender from their doctor. And as we're all kind of understanding more, you know, that uh, trans people, just to quote Shige, um, and certainly non binary people, have existed since time immemorial. And we're learning, you know, and decolonizing our ways of thinking and knowing that gender expression and third plus gender people have existed in many cultures throughout the beginning of time. So once we're learning that history, we can know and say that. We, Yes, we're modernizing, but we're also kind of returning to the roots of a lot of cultural practices, which did not have these rigid binary gender roles where things were so uh, compartmentalized. um, And a lot of that was coming through Western uh, colonialism. So when we're kind of looking and trying to evolve ourselves, we can say, yes, we're returning to um, a much more um, positive way of thinking. We don't have uh, binaries, you know, Oh, well, we used to have binaries for race and we we're learning, yes, that is not true. And the same with gender and many other categories, you know, trying to put people into a tiny box doesn't well serve any of us. So it's uh, kind of a, a long ongoing process um, but very grateful to Shige for their 20 plus years of work um, and their advocacy to, Ensure that we can all have our documents correct on both the federal level and then certainly our work continues in Maryland. So we have the MBA updated and vital records, well, you know, some opportunities there. And then certainly um, hopeful that this year the administration, it was one of the campaign promises of the new uh, administration, the Biden administration, to have X markers. Um, So we'll see if uh, we can't all raise our voices together. And certainly if folks wanna sign on and support that initiative, um, that would be very welcome. Honestly, I am so hopeful about connecting with our community and seeing the amazing organizing that's happening all over the state. It's been really, really powerful. And also to see young folks growing up at a time when they have Trans celebrities and non binary celebrities in media, you know, growing up seeing folks who share an aspect of your identity or, you know, many ways look like you, talk like you, all of those things are incredibly powerful. And I grew up at a time when there weren't trans folks um, in the media, except for in maybe a negative um, portrayal, right? So, um, child of the 80s, and there's a really powerful and intense movie, um, I would say for trans folks, like, consider, you know, what mental space you're in, you know, when watching that movie, um, but uh, um, called Disclosure uh, by some trans community members, Laverne Cox, etc. And And, um, you know, that movie really kind of goes into some of those things, but getting on the positive piece of, um, you know, seeing that we have Indy Moore, we have uh, Elliot Page, we have so many trans folks who are accessible. And so our young folks are going to be coming into a time when they know that, yeah, we still have a lot of work to do, but they're able to see parts of themselves in our society in ways that folks who are my age and older certainly um, have never had the opportunity to. So that really brings me a lot of joy and a lot of hope and um, yeah talking to young folks just because they're envisioning worlds that we um, that I wouldn't have imagined so uh, it brings me a lot of joy and a lot of comfort also to see that hope